Welcome to Behind the Fiction, the book lovers podcast, where we deliver interviews, insights, and ideas to passionate book lovers who want to stay in the stories they love. I'm Alexa Larberg, and this is episode 20 for October 7th, 2019, and today's guest is Michael Anderley. In this episode, Michael and Steve finished their Opus X Q&A they started back in episode 18. If you care to know about why Michael writes strong female leads and how he keeps all his ducks in a row with so much going on, then this episode is for you. Hey, be sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to both this podcast and our YouTube channel. Now, let's get to the show. All right. Uh, Kurt Spa, and this gets... This gets back to the the contest. So he, he starts with one win what you ask. So what character role will be given to the winner? And we've sort of covered that. It depends on what question the winner wound up asking. So we actually, <laughs> since some people have asked multiple questions, we'll have to find out from Kelly which question actually won so that you can determine what's My going to happen. Yeah, really. My preference would be to allow them to give me two or three options that, that we could play off of. But um, they, ha- they, have in, um, they have anti-socials, as Gia calls them, uh, which drives me nuts. You know, she's definitely one of those more prim and proper people. They're not criminals. They're anti-socials. And, uh, but there are also people called tin men. And in the future, you, you know, we've had the ability to change out uh, like your arm for a robotic arm uh, or they can kind of regrow it. And anyone who doesn't decide to be strictly organic flesh now is ostracized by a large component of society. So a fair amount of our bad guys in a what's called the shadow zone happen to be tin men. So I, I think it would be fun to have some of them be a tin man or something or tin woman. That would be, you know, something cool, I would think. But they might tell me that, yeah, no, that's not, not cool. Yeah. So anybody who's followed your career for the last few years, uh, Kurt asked a follow-up question. And without reading the whole thing, he, he concludes the question with, how do you fit everything in and avoid being overwhelmed? So, I mean, you've, you've got all of these books. You've got the books you're writing. You've got books you're producing. You've got um, you know, the, the whole Opus X thing where there are models and, and they're, you know, people don't know there are always model shoots happening somewhere for covers and things like that. There's a lot that you have to stay on top of. So how do you, Kurt asks, how do you keep on top of everything and keep it from becoming overwhelming? Um, so since Steve is here and I can uh, bother him, uh, read, I can embarrass him. So my story of Steve, right? <laughs> we can cut this out. I'm, I'm cutting this out. We're totally cutting this out. <laughs> <laughs> We're not cutting this out. <laughs> so the short answer, and then I'll go into a long answer. The short answer is I have an amazing group of people that surround me, that support me, uh, support the company and support their areas, whether it be uh, Martha Carr with the Orisarian Universe, Craig Martell with Age of Expansion and other things, Lynn Stigler with all of her team's um, Grace and Kelly working on beta readers and JIT, but the person who technically joined me first, his name's Stephen Campbell. And yeah, exactly. That, that white haired guy. He actually had dark hair when I first met him. It was amazing. <laughs> this is only a couple years ago. So, <laughs> you know, we all have ego. We all have things that, that we think would be really cool. So when I first started writing, I 
um, I carried or I had a spreadsheet because I'm business minded and I wanted to see what was going on with read through and everything else. I was listening after I realized that there was such a thing as podcasts for this in the author community. I was listening to one. I found one called Author Biz and it had this melodious, really cool sounding older guy that you could tell knew what he was doing. Interestingly enough, it's his name was also Stephen Campbell. No relationship. What a coincidence. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm listening to this and I released books one, two, three, and four in three of them in November, fourth one in mid-December. And by this time, I'm starting to get some really cool data on what's going on with this. And Steve mentions in one of his podcasts that he is an Excel guy. He loves Excel. And I'm thinking to myself, I go, I've got this. I've got a Excel to blow his mind. It is so cool. So this is what I'm thinking. And, and really what's going on in the back of my mind is like, this is how I get on a podcast. I'm going to get interviewed. What? <laughs> so I have this devious plan to send him a, <laughs> an Excel spreadsheet in order to try to get my way into talking about it. And I can get on his author biz podcast because it's biz, Excel, business. So I send it and I send it after I think book four. And I'm so excited. And I'm, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And I get an email back and I'm, I'm opening up this email and I'm so excited. And it goes, hi, this is Stephen Campbell. I'm closed for Christmas. I won't be replying to any emails until January. And I'm, if you could probably hear me scream, I was living in Texas at the time. You could probably hear me scream all the way to Florida. No. <laughs> what a jerk. This Campbell scene sounds like a jerk. <laughs> And, and so I had, I had worked myself up to sending that email in the first place. And so, and now I've got like two weeks and, and things happen that are really good in the business and everything else during the two weeks. And so by the time January like 5th rolls around, um, it was kind of out of, out of my mind. Right. And so the email comes back from Steven and he sends it back and says, Hey, you know, I really appreciate this. First I got it. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is going to be, you know, of course there's still the whole, I'm going to get rejected. Nobody loves me, <laughs> but I get this email back and, and you're like, yeah, this is really nice. I'd be curious to know about the numbers in here. And I'm like, you mean my, the sales? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, what about them? <laughs> and you're like, I think the story is with the numbers, not the spreadsheet. <laughs> We've never had a discussion about my precious spreadsheet. Oh, you're right. We never have. We just went right to the numbers. And that show, just for people listening, the Author Biz Podcast is no longer. Um, but that was the most popular show of all time, the first show with Michael. And I believe it was something to like some, the title was something like zero to a, to 10 K in, in, in 90 days. days. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the reaction to that from listeners was astonishing. A few people found it inspirational. A lot of people found it outrageous and it couldn't possibly be true. And, and that's when I had to say that hey, I actually validated these numbers. It is true. <laughs> Which and then they hated me, right? me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so to, to continue the story, so you and I had interviews three or three or four times, mm -hmm. well, four times, but one of them was with um, um, Stephen Russell, who right. was my production engineer. Anyway, so we become pseudo business friends. And I happen to like Steve Jobs way of doing things. So as I'm starting to become more successful, and this is like, you know, 10 months, 11 months after you and I first talked which seems like forever in the industry. And it sounds like nothing 
when we're talking about it three years later. And so I, I'm talking to Stephen, and, and he says on this Author Biz podcast, if you go back, are those still up? Yeah, they're still, still up. up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll so, link to the to the zero to ten k in ninety days interview. <laughs> so oh, I, I was so young and naive those <laughs> those many four three and a half years ago, <laughs> but. So he keeps talking like every two out of every three message. He's always forgets every once in a while to say, Hey, and the name of your company is Camden, right? Yes. Yes. So uh, what does Camden mean? Campbell? Campbell Ventures. Okay. All right. So he, he mentions about this Camden. And so I'm listening to this and I'm starting to decide, I'm like, you know what? He's, he's got a little plug going here, but I wonder if he'd rather have just one client rather than plugging because I happen to be in the IT industry as well or had been. So I decide I'm going to pitch Stephen Campbell, the Stephen Campbell, and I'm going to pitch him on seeing if he'd like to be a part of this company that, that is becoming a reality. And so I, I don't remember how I got you on the line. And I, my pitch was, you know, you say this and, and you've got this, but I don't know that I can afford and I asked you some questions and I said, mm -hmm. I don't know if I can afford that now, but if I can get to it in the next couple of months, would you rather have one client for Camden or would you like to have a bunch of small clients? Pretty much knowing that if you're wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only one correct answer to that question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because in the IT field, having a bunch of small means that at least 10 to 20% of them are going to be a royal pain in the neck. Yes, and you spend and, all your time chasing money and et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, doing nonsensical things instead of working. <laughs> so from that perspective, that is how Stephen Campbell joined LMBPN and became the first one to allow me to not focus on the operations of getting these books out because we started doing collaborations, which means now we're doing four, eight books a month. And so Steve took over the operations and um, it, that has just grown from then. And oh, even my wife joined in and she handles the, uh, like working with the German, working with the Spanish, working with translations, working with the audio, um, meeting people in foreign country stuff, you know, relationships. And, you know, so there are dozens of people that work within LMBPN to keep my sanity straight. I don't have to focus on it. Yes, uh, dozens of really good people who love what we're doing and yeah. uh, love love the 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 way that we're going about the publishing business, and it's 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 fun for all of us to come to work and uh, gather around the Slack water cooler every day. <laughs> How many people are in the Slack group now? By the way, um, I pay. There's more than this, but I because Slack doesn't force me to pay for people who don't show up but I pay for over a hundred people are active every month in there. Okay. Yeah. So that gives you some sense of what LMBPN is, is becoming. So good question. Thanks. Thanks, Kurt. Um, Yasina Diaz, and I apologize if I butchered your first name there. What inspired you to make this series? I know we've talked about that a little bit, but was there one specific thing that triggered it in your mind? I, I would go back to the foundation series. I think it's always caused me to think about the reality that wherever society is most, in this case, earth, right? And then you have a frontier. I do have a wild west mentality. I come from Texas in the United States, which, you know, horses and cattle and everything else is still part of our mentality. But so is, you know, you grab your boots and you put them on and you go do something. 
You don't worry about the rest of what's going on around there or trying to get a big group to be with you. And so for Eric, you know, being able to say, hey, I'm on the fringes of where humanity is out there on the frontier appeals to me to be able to say that and then to force him to come over back to Earth, which he'd left decades before. And then you have Gia, who is an intellectual. She's smart. She might not necessarily be street savvy when we first meet her, but what's going to happen to her over the arc of 12 books? If you look at the first six covers, which are up, you're going to see a different Gia in book one than you see in book six. And just see her, um, <laughs> book one, you look at her, she doesn't have a high opinion of Eric in that story. If you just kind of look at it really close in her body language, book two, not that much better, <laughs> you know, but by book six, there is a definitive change in the relationship of, of the two of them and what they're trying to accomplish. And you can kind of see that represented on the covers if you if you look. And you can see this at opusxseries.com. You, you can see all six covers and pre-order all six books. Yes, go buy them now. Bye, bye. Wait, wait. Listen to us. No, no, go buy them. Okay. Um, Tracy Burns asks, and this is a great question, where on earth or off it did you come up with the name Tasanta? This is actually Judith Anderley, my wife, I was going to say slightly connected to myself. Um, I suggest um, marrying up. Uh, my <laughs> wife speaks four languages and uh, has degree, multiple degrees. One of them is a JD, Juris Doctorate in Law. I don't suggest that one too much. It helps on the business <laughs> side, not so much on the relationship side. <laughs> when you have someone that smart <laughs> calling you on some of the bullshit that you do, because I'm an author. My mind works a certain way. I lie for a living. Let's just point that out. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. <laughs> so it's not, well, no, I'm not lying on these other things, but I will make up bullshit stuff and humor myself. So it doesn't take much. And then I will smirk or I'll chuckle or I'll giggle. And she'll just look over at me and it's like, you're making yourself laugh, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Because <laughs> I'm telling a story in my mind. You know what? I totally forgot. Oh, Jacinta. So... In that, we were trying to figure out what are we going to name this car company of this, this car itself. And so we were going through and Judith decided to go look into other languages. And she found that the translation of speed in Greek is Tasanta. And I don't know whether or not we should tell Judith's joke that makes her laugh. Every, <laughs> <laughs> every single time. <laughs> But so we have meetings every three weeks. We have meetings with other luminaries in the publishing production field. And these companies that are a part of it, Judith is driving everything forward. And so when she, the first couple of times that we're doing this, she keeps telling the story where she wants to say Tasanta, uh, and she, you know, someone says, I don't know, it's all Greek to me. And then she will <laughs> crack up laughing because Tasanta, of course, is Greek. And it just tickles her funny bone. And then by like the third time, I'm like, sweetheart, sweetheart, <laughs> we've heard this a few times. But a year from now, if she told the story again, she would crack up laughing. Yes. That and the moose, the flying moose. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another story altogether. <laughs> All right. Now, this actually leads into the next question from Paula Phillips. You often write strong women leads. I find that unusual in a male author in a male author, most men I find can't write de decent, strong women leads. What drives you to have so many strong women in your work? 
So as a reader, I don't like testosterone-fueled idiot male characters. I don't like them. So after seeing too many of them, I would then gravitate toward strong female stories, right? Because I'm like, it's a filter. A lot of people that, you know, YA. YA is actually read by a lot of older people because YA is a filter for no sex, low cursing. You know, it's a filter. So for me, strong female characters was a filter for not an idiot, test, overly testosterone male character who was doing things like uncaring. I care about people. So, you know, a typical male might be, especially the anti-hero type. I can only handle an anti-hero every so often. <laughs> so it was my preference. And I wasn't even sure after writing Bethany or during Bethany and could I write a strong male character? It wasn't until I wrote John, you know, the, the, one of the, <laughs> one of the bitches um, that I realized, yeah, I could write a male character that I would like. And thus James Brownstone was born. And now Eric. Yes. And now Eric and Eric has got his own challenges. <laughs> I just got finished editing book two, like Monday. What is today? Wednesday, two days ago. And <laughs> I was putting it together for Lynn, our editor, and I'm like, okay, here's, because I do them in chunks, and all of a sudden I realized, where's chunk 38 to 41? <laughs> and I'm like, son of a bitch, I forgot to edit that piece. <laughs> oh, son of a bleep, darn it. Um, all right, this is a good, another good question from um, Paula. Uh, being such a prolific author, do you ever find a character from a different series trying to insert trying to insert themselves Ooh. into your work. I, I, I read somewhere, and I, I wish I could attribute the quote, but the idea was that the typical author can only really come up with two or three characters in their lifetime, and then they just keep reusing them. Yeah, I'd heard that before. Um, and I'd seen some, some people out there doing reviews going, hey, I thought this was going to be just another this rehash. I personally think that I like emotions. I'm there to create an emotional aspect, uh, an emotional connection or resonance. And so that's what you see. You know, justice tends to be something that personality wise, I'm all about. It's my personality to be, you know, things like uh, the Samsung versus Apple. When I thought Samsung totally copied them and they're like, what in me? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, know you, you bring up a Samsung plug and you bring up an, Am uh, an Apple plug and they're like the same thing same color you're like no no we didn't copy that <laughs> and so that would that would piss me off and, and it finally when you know and i realized I, I belatedly realized in their society in samsung society doing that is a business tactic that's what they do so it's almost like i had to understand what they did you know what were they familiar with in order to understand why samsung might do this and you can't argue it was a really good tactic. Even if they had to spend 300 and I don't know, $80 million paying Apple where they were before to where they are now uh, went ahead. So from the, the story standpoint, the two or three characters, I like emotions and I like, and I find certain things funny. Let's go to like Katie and Pandora. You know, I was getting upset from a standpoint of what everything was politically correct. And I'm like, I don't want to be politically correct at times. I don't want to do, you know what? I'm going to create a 5,000-year-old female demon who comes from a place that's not politically correct. I don't think you can tell me I didn't write her correctly. <laughs> you know? And so, and that comes off of actually um, Jeff Dunham. 
I saw Jeff Dunham in person, like back in the eighties. Um, and he's the ventriloquist who has a bunch of the dolls. He made a comment during one of the shows that, uh, his older character, his, um, I, who I forget at the moment, but his old grumpy guy, his old grumpy guy can say anything and get away with mm. it mm -hmm. because he's an old grumpy guy. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll do the same thing. I'm going to create this five year old thousand year old demon who comes back to earth and is, you know, a partier and no one's going to be able to say anything. She's 5,000 year old demon. <laughs> can I just say that's one of the great things about having your hair turn white is that you can kind of roll into grumpy old man whenever you need to. And people just go, Oh, well he's yeah. He's grumpy old man. That's, that's Steve. It's just the way he is. <laughs> I did not know until the last couple of weeks, but you, you fessed up. You're actually a redhead. Not anymore. <laughs> well, genetically, you still are predisposed towards. Yes. Back in the day. Back in the day, I was. Yeah. Well, white looks good on you. I can't Thank see you. what red would look like. <laughs> um, all right. Great. Another great question from Paula, who just kind of came in at the end with a batch <laughs> of questions. Um, but I, I really like this one. We're not used to having to wait so long for a book you've written. Really? <laughs> and, uh, we're not used to having to wait so long for a book you've written to be released. I'm curious as to why November 1st for the release date. Okay, so Judith. And then, th and then she, oh, oh no, no, there's, then there's a follow-up question, but it's from somebody else. So fire okay. away. We're going wide with this. And what, there are multiple reasons. In fact, I just spoke on Joanna pins the creative pin which is more of an author focused podcast why wide why now because i've been all ku which means that in kindle unlimited i have to only sell on amazon i cannot buy contracts sell anywhere else until i'm out of ku which case then i'm out of ku and i'm quote wide and one of the things that as lmppn grows we need the ability to sell in multiple areas because not every one of our authors are going to be able to sell in kindle unlimited for some reason, some authors, some stories, whatever, they do not resonate inside KU. And I don't know how to do that, right? We did one, um, Steve, we did one with uh, the zoo, right? Mm -hmm. Straight Soldier's Fame and Fortune. And that to me was more of a technical effort. In other words, what does it take to get on these things? What does it take to sell here? Because we didn't know. We, we were very spoiled. Yeah, not really what does it take to sell here, but what does it take to make your book technically available for sale on these sure. various platforms? That's all we really did with, with that effort. Right. And so that was a precursor to needing to go wide. Now, going wide is very difficult compared to being all in on Amazon. And uh, as I was mentioning, LMBPN needs the ability to know how to do this, and we need the ability to... Uh, do it well. And there's only one way to do that. And it's basically get pushed into the pool. So um, there's a minimum requirement. If you talk to the people that says you need to be at least six to nine months minimum in order to get any sort of foothold. And we had this tentpole project uh, that's coming up and I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, and test how to do this on somebody else's dime. And if I have a collaborator, I'm working on their dime. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, we're going to do this and uh, we're going to forego a lot of money and we're going to do this wide because we need to have the ability to do it as a company. And so from there, if you're going to do wide, we brought in all of these, we're talking uh, other stores such as Kobo, Apple, draft to digital and publish drive, which are distributors partners with us. Um, 
Dreamscape is there. They're also giving us advice. And so all of these companies, did I miss any of them? Did I get all of them? I think I, th I think so. Yeah. Okay. And so with all of these people, they're giving us advice. And one of the things is like, hey, you need to do pre-orders a year out. Usually our pre-orders are a week, two weeks. Yeah. Which, yes. You know, which of the Federation is the longest, but it's a large book to build. Um, so that's really the reason is because we had to do these pre-orders and Judith is managing the ability to get people excited. Nobody knows us on these other areas. Nobody knows who Michael Anderley is on Amazon or Facebook. All right, let me try to choose the right ones. Apple, Google, Kobo, practically no one knows us there. So we need the time. Okay. And let's wrap it up with this question, which comes from, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. There's a, there was a follow-up from Bonnie to uh, Paula's question. Are we going to be able to buy the whole series as a box set? You have me very spoiled since Crutherian Gambit. <laughs> Eventually, yes. But remember, one story, 12 parts, 18 months. Yes. So it'll, so it'll, be, it'll be a while. So now for those who are part of our emails or something like and that recognize since it's not in KU, you can't read it quote unquote for free, right? Like Netflix. But we will have something very special where we'll do a day where we'll kind of have a hidden store where you'll be able to get the book for 99 cents or something. So we'll do that from time to time. And, and to, to know about that, you need to be on one of the various, uh, one of the various LMBPN email lists, which you can sign up for at LMBPN.com. You can also sign up for the Opus X email list at OpusXSeries.com. And then the last question from Kurt, and I really, I, I like this. I like the comment, uh, <laughs> maybe more than the question. I noticed that there's quite a pre-release buildup for this series. Are all of your new ventures going to have such fun setups because we like it? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, you stabbed me here. No. <laughs> the sheer amount of cost to do this is boggling to me. I don't know, you know, Steve, you might have a different idea, but for me, it, it's quite a bit, but it's also challenging because if we're all in, like we have a new series, um, Rogue, it's in her Paranormal Majesty's Secret Service and book one is out. We have the first cover is done. Uh, it'll have three titles in it like we've been starting to do and we'll do some of our normal stuff, but I don't, I don't guess I know whether or not there's a value if we're all in on Amazon and doing such a huge pre-order stuff. Yeah, I you know I I think the whole idea of it, just like the slow reveal of Tasanta, and you know all of the graphic images and some of the videos that we're going to be releasing this week and through the the November first release and beyond. I mean, they're just cool. They're fun and they're cool. Yes. But we don't really have the ability to do that with a lot of our other series. But we are doing some cool stuff, similar that we're going to release related to something we call Advertising City. And so there, there, we are trying to get more into the video stuff and other things that we're, that we're working on. Um, but just, we're, I mean, a hundred people and that includes artists and JIT and everything else, but I, man, that takes a lot of planning and I yes. focus on books. You asked, what can I do? Well, so I have a great lot of people and I don't go off on tangents. I don't figure out how to go get into Hollywood. I don't figure out how to go do something else. I focus on stories mostly. Okay. So thank you all for submitting questions. Thank you thank for, you. for watching, listening. If you're watching, please subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on the LMBPN website. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe to the YouTube channel because why not? 
people have and, cool stuff there. Yes, we have cool stuff. And that's the only place where you can see these really cool, well, that, that and Facebook. You can see these really cool videos that uh, have, have been produced for Opus X. One of the people working for LMBPN, we talked about this before, the great team that we have, uh, Kelly O'Donnell manages a lot of our Facebook interactions. And she will be, there's a little program that you can take and run against uh, a, a question stream like this that randomly picks the winner. So Kelly will be picking the winner later today, I hope. And we'll let you know who that is, and then we'll sort it out how uh, how you're going to be represented in in book three, right, Michael? Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. So <laughs> depending on the uh, winning question, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> and, you know and what, and what kind of mood the, he's in at that time. You might be a vigilante killing that horrible author or uh, the horrible person, Stephen Campbell, who is the Tin Man. Ouch. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. We will be back with a, a regular episode of Behind the Fiction shortly. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.